0: Audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in the Gospel of Luke. For more audio or information about our church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. I have one quick announcement before we begin. Uh, in your chairs or around your chairs, you should have found one of these. These are our Luke guides. Um, this is done so that we can walk through the text. The only problem is this is our second set of them. Uh, The last one should have finished up last week for you. And so we have brand new ones which look exactly the same. I realized that as soon as I picked it up from our printer, I was like, oh my goodness, I probably should have made some distinguishing characteristic on the second set uh, because they do look identical. So what I have chose to do is I wrote a number two on mine just to help me because I know that this week as I'm grabbing it, I'm going to grab the first one and be completely confused. So the ones that should be in your chairs, uh, and if you want extras, there are some back by the Connect booth on your way out. Feel free to grab them. Uh, It it might help if you wrote like the number two on there, or maybe like folded a corner or did something to distinguish it, which I did not do for you. Uh, So you're welcome. I gave you freedom to create as much as you want to on yours to make it unique and and individual to you. That was perfectly the thought that we had going into this, so you're welcome. Uh, Let's begin our time with a quick little experiment. Do me a favor, everybody close your eyes for just a second. Don't fall asleep on me, just close your eyes for just a second. And think back to your drive here this morning. You get into your vehicle and you pull out of the driveway and make the the path, take the streets that you normally take to get here. As you're you're on this drive, I want you to, to look around. Look at all of the signs that you see on this drive. All of the storefronts with their lights on. Some of them look great. Some of them you think, yeah, they could probably use a marketer to to kind of help them with that sign. These are designed to get our attention. Think of every marketing advertisement that you saw just on your drive here. Go ahead and open your eyes. Think of our own signs out front. As you approached the school, Hopefully you saw our tent that's out there. That's a sign. It tells you what's in here. We also have pull-up signs. to distinguish. this is where, I believe the, the one here says worship, and the one over on the other side, bright yellow, says kids or childrens or something along, I don't even know what that actually says. I know it's bright yellow, and it says something along the lines of, if you have kids, this is where you go. Signs are, are all over. They're, uh, they're very relevant. Possibly this morning, maybe you, you skipped breakfast or you skipped on that, that cup of coffee, Um, I know in our household sometimes the the kids don't quite function like you would hope they would and so you start to run behind and and so you don't have time to maybe grab that super healthy uh, protein bar on the way out. But there is the Krispy Kreme on the way to church and the light is on. The light is on is an international symbol for eat me because I'm going to be hot and juicy donuts that I don't even have to chew because they're delicious. It's tempting. It's done in a way to entice us. With our own signs, it tells you information. Oftentimes, though, because there are so many signs and so many uh, marketing appeals, we oftentimes become uh, almost seared to, to the amount of marketing that is in front of us. We did a little experiment this morning, which... Um, I had it in my mind that we were going to do this. Whenever I got here, though, it was already done. So our first booth that you see whenever you walk in, can anybody tell me what that is, what's on it, what, what the words are? Everybody, wow. Well done. It says welcome, okay? So it says welcome. Anybody, give me a color. Green, okay, there we go. On that sign, though, there's a separate kind of section that has a top portion and a bottom portion with uh, metal railings going up the sides of it that kind of holds it all together. Hopefully some of you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, on your way out, be sure and look at it. That sign this morning was upside down. It was completely upside down. Normally, if you come the tree, so it has like S-O, uh, and I think the, the tree, and then normally at the, the bottom of it, or the top, depending on which way we choose to put it, it has a tree, the, the tree logo that we have on majority of our stuff. Normally that tree is flipped upside down, and because of the way that it's printed, it's really hard to tell sometimes where the trunk is and where the branches are. This time, the entire sign is flipped upside down. And the majority of us probably walked past it, didn't even notice. It's still like that. So on your way out, you can feel free to look at it and see that I'm not actually lying, that it really is flipped upside down. We, uh, we can become seer to, to the temptation around us and to the marketing campaigns around us. If you ever have gone through a stage where uh, you decide we're gonna get rid of TV completely, we're gonna gonna get rid of every form of television um, in our household. I know my wife and I did this, we went through a Dave Ramsey thing uh, probably four or five years ago, and so we were cutting every cost that we could think of. Well, TV is a large cost, we cut everything. And I didn't wanna go buy a new antenna, so I didn't even have any TV, we had no form of television. Once we, however, got television back, whoa, It was like the 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 ratings for TV has suddenly like declined in a big way, and they can show things on there that I didn't think they would be able to show. I wouldn't have noticed this and I wouldn't have that large period of time cut out where I removed myself from it. Our consciences can often become seared to the things that are around us. We're, We're oftentimes presented with temptation, and some temptations are good and some temptation is bad. Temptation here is not the problem. The problem is our response to the temptation. My mother-in-law had a a famous line that she would often say. Uh, So growing up in the youth group, my my mother-in-law kind of stepped in and filled the role for a youth leader for us. And she had a line that I absolutely hated, but I use all the time now. Nobody can make you mad, you have to choose to get mad. Which, as a teenager, that's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. No, if somebody is making me mad, I'm going to be mad. But you have to actually choose to get mad. No matter what the circumstance is, our reaction is what we are responsible for. It's the exact same thing with temptation. When temptation comes our way, how do we respond? How do we respond from temptation from the devil instead of simply from storefronts? This morning, we're going to take a look at a scripture here, which shows us even Christ faced temptation. We're going to approach this passage in two different ways. We're going to look first at the actual temptations, and then we're going to discuss how it relates to us as we face temptation. So we're in Luke chapter 4, and I'll begin reading in verses 1 and 2 this morning. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry." So our scene here is now set. We're given some background information that helps us as we approach the rest of the text. Our text begins by tying Christ here with the Holy Spirit. It says two things about it. First, our text says that Christ was full of the Holy Spirit, and it also continues on, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We talked about this briefly last week, but Christ is placing his humanity here on full display. He is full of the Spirit. This is one of those texts that shows us the full humanity of Christ, and we're going to see here in the temptations, it's pushing towards the deity of Christ. What does this mean? What is this filling of the Spirit that we see here occurring with Christ? Throughout the Bible, we see two words which are commonly used whenever it comes to the Holy Spirit. Uh, The first one is indwelling, and the second one that we see here in this text is a filling. Filling. Indwelling is a once-and-done event. It occurs at the point of salvation. The Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you are indwelt with the Spirit. The filling, as we look throughout Scripture, can happen multiple times. Look through the book of Acts, and you can see the filling of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. Oftentimes what occurs right after that, though, get ready. Whenever you read and they were filled with the Spirit, grab that, that imaginary seatbelt and buckle it, because something is about to happen. It's what we see here in our text as well. The Spirit has filled him, and something is now about to happen. Christ is filled with the Spirit, and then he's led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. The wilderness sounds wonderful. But in this case, it wasn't like, yay, I'm going out, I'm going to go be manly man in the wilderness. The wilderness here simply means relatively uninhabited, uh, desert, rocky terrain, uh, not like a vacation spot. It's a rough area that most people would not like to go to. Imagine, if you will, West Texas, okay? West Texas is kind of like the best representation of the wilderness that we can often think of, an area where most people don't want to go. It's desert, rocky, West Texas, okay? Think of it like that, and it can possibly be helpful to you. So Christ is led here to this area by the Spirit, and he's being tempted by the devil for 40 days, we don't know what type of temptations have occurred in this 40 days, uh, but we know that in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He's also doing something during these 40 days. Christ here is, is fasting during these 40 days. And I love how this verse ends. In the end of verse 2, for 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. So 40 days he eats nothing. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Thank you, Luke. Thank you for giving us that. He was, didn't eat for 40 days. Oh, and by the way, because he didn't eat for 40 days, he was hungry. You think? Obviously, he's going to be very, very hungry. 40 days without food, and I would be a, a very thin man. It possibly would be great for the diet program. But I'm going to be very hungry. Christ here has the power of the Spirit with him. 40 days being tempted by Satan and not eating food. After this joyous occasion... We come to the main portion of our text here. Luke is going to give us a glimpse into three more temptations that the devil is going to try against Christ. So it's as if this 40-day period has ended and we now are presented with, here's three temptations that the devil has come against Christ that, that we are clued into. Before we look at these temptations, though, I need you to really feel the humanity of Christ in this situation. He's just spent 40 days here without food. Imagine his physical state. He's hungry. Luke tells us that. He's probably physically and emotionally weak. What's the longest you've ever gone without food, and how did you feel after that time period? If you've never done a fast, I suggest you look at Scripture first to figure out what is fasting that we see within the text. After you've done that, possibly add it to your personal spiritual disciplines. There's a physical toll here whenever you fast. You are physically feeling the effects of not eating. This is the state that Christ is here in. He's physically feeling the 40 days of not eating. Satan oftentimes chooses to attack us in our weaknesses. If you're going to attack and tempt Christ at this time, how would he do it? Well, we see how he does it. He chooses to use Christ's physical need to tempt him. Satan here is a creature of habit as well, and he chooses to come against us in our weaknesses as well. In what ways are you currently weak? Are you currently vulnerable to temptation? Do you know yourself well enough to know where you are weak? Do those around you know where you are weak as well? So that whenever you are in one of those times of weakness, they can step in and say, hey, let's get you out of this weakness here. Verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. So Satan here begins with a very important word, if. He begins with a word of if. He's putting into question the deity of Christ. He challenges him here to use his power as God, to fulfill his physical need of hunger. He's marketing to Christ. He is tempting to Christ. If you skipped breakfast this morning, that donut shop was probably very tempting. That coffee shop might have been very tempting this morning to meet those physical needs. Eating isn't bad. The physical act of Christ eating bread is not the problem here. What is the devil choosing to to do? He's, He's choosing to challenge Jesus to reveal his deity. I don't believe this is a challenge against necessarily his deity as much as it is a challenge against his reliance. Satan is tempting Christ here to rely upon himself. Once again, Satan chooses to tempt us in the exact same ways. Do you have a tendency to rely upon yourself in times of weaknesses? Maybe you're opposite and you choose to rely upon God only in your weakness. During both our times of strength and our times of weakness, there needs to be a continual reliance upon God. Christ responds here to to Satan. It's a direct quote here from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Verse 4, he says, And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So he directly comes against Satan here with scripture. Uh, The text in Deuteronomy that he's quoting from is when ever Israel was in the wilderness for forty years. Does it sound familiar? Christ was in the wilderness for 40 days, and we have Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. It should sound very familiar. During this time in the wilderness, God, with the people of Israel, chooses to to meet their physical needs using manna. Their reliance was not upon themselves, but their reliance had to be upon the God who provides. Jesus picks up on this same theme. He shows Satan where his reliance lies. It doesn't rely in his own strength and in his own power, but instead his reliance relies upon the God who provides. Where does our strength lie? Oftentimes for me, if I'm very just honest with you, my strength lies within my own self. It's whenever I am unable with my own power to do things that I often think maybe I should rely upon God. I typically wait until there's nothing else to rely on, until I say, okay, well, obviously I can't fix this, so God, I'm gonna need you to step in in the circumstance and help me here. This brings with it so much worry and so much work for myself. I oftentimes don't even realize that I'm doing it until it gets to that point where there's nothing else except God. Preaching is a great example of this. Do you wanna know how to grow a church? I can tell you it's very simple, how to grow a church. First, it begins with great signs. You've got to have marketing for growing a church, Why? Because people have to know that you actually exist there. So if you want to grow a church, have some great signs. Uh, Possibly do some TV advertisements or some radio advertisements. Let people know that you're there. Next, music. If you want to grow a church, you've got to have some great sounding music. It doesn't necessarily matter what you're saying as much as it matters on how you're saying it. Okay? (laughs) your musicianship has to be very, very good. It has to be able to, if I can put these same individuals on a, uh, a television show, that's a good mark. Also, you need an eloquent speaker. Uh, you need somebody who is entertaining, uh, who can hold attention. Does this sound familiar? Every one of these things are actually great things in and of themselves. Great signs, great music, great speakers. These are all things that I hope at Stone Oak we would have. I hope we have great signage. I hope we have great music. I hope we have great speakers, but it misses a very key point, point. and I hope that everything that we do here, from our signs to our music to what is being proclaimed from the pulpit here, shows a reliance upon God. I hope we're a church that has great things, but I hope that we are pointing to the right thing. One of the most dangerous things within the church are talented musicians and speakers because there isn't a necessarily need to rely upon God. You can do this all within your own self. Uh, Let me be very honest, I have nothing to say. Absolutely nothing. The only thing I can do is, is take what God has said and try to say it. That's all I can do. I'm not the most eloquent speaker. Praise God through his spirit though that we have his word, which then I can use to proclaim to you. We must continually have a reliance upon the God who provides. Everything that we do here at Stone Oak, hopefully, is done for the glory of God. Everything small is done for the glory of God, from the signs out front, uh, to the music, to what is said, to communion, to even our children's ministry. Hopefully, everything that we do is done for the glory of God. Christ here has now passed this first temptation. Surely, the devil will stop now. He's come against Christ, and Christ has crushed that first temptation. But no, he continues on with another temptation. Read with me verses 5 through 7. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours." So he takes Christ up and he shows them all the kingdoms of the world and he, he makes an offer to him. The devil will give to Christ all of the authority and glory that comes alongside of these kingdoms. All Christ needs to do is one simple thing and that is to worship Satan. Let's take a second here and explain some things because there might be some questions here on, on how is it that Christ can do this? How can, can, or how can Satan do this? How can Satan offer this to Christ? Does Satan really have authority and the power to offer this, to give this to Christ. First, we need to begin with the person of Satan. So what do we know about Satan? Well, we know, first of all, that Satan is a liar. John chapter eight, verse 44 says this. You are of the father of the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So is it possible that Satan doesn't really have any power here and is simply offering something that does not belong to him? Yes, that is possible. However, I don't think that's true within this case. We see throughout Scripture that Satan is referred to as the God of this world or even the Prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 2, the Prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Satan has been granted power within this world. Let me give you a quick example. So, this right here, this is my my key to my truck, okay? If I were to, to take this key and I were to give this to Chet, Chet, don't miss. Okay, so Chet now has the key to my truck. I'm giving you, you can do whatever you want with it, okay? It's in the parking lot. You can take it for a drive. Uh, you can roll down all the windows. You can turn up the sound. Um, you, can, you can haul the church trailer. You can throw some dirt into the back of it. You can do with it as you please. You, you have the ability to use every tool that you see within that truck. Use the, the truck as a tool to accomplish whatever means you want to. Who owns the truck? Well, I do. I own the truck. Who currently has the truck, though? Well, Chet currently has the truck. If Chet today, after service, decides, you know what, I'm going to take it for a drive, and he, he gets in the truck and starts it and rolls all the windows down and he starts driving down Stone Oak Parkway, and he sees a coworker of him driving this truck, who is that coworker going to think this truck belongs to? Well, obviously, they're going to think it belongs to Chet. At any time, though, I have the ability to take my key back from Chet. It is mine. I own the truck. I'm giving him the ability to use it, but at any time, I can remove the key from his hands. Let's take it a step further here. So you have my key, and you come to me one day, and you offer me the key to my truck. All I have to do is worship you. You're gonna give me... My key, if I worship you, it should be like, well, that's absurd. Why? Why is that happening? Because I obviously own it. He's kind of stewarding it, if you will. At the end of the day, it belongs to me, and I know who the truck belongs to. Look at the response of Jesus here in verse 8. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Christ uses scripture once again to point to a reliance upon the God who has power. Satan here is asking Christ to take a shortcut. He can skip the cross. He's offering to Christ what is not his own. Satan now has been thwarted twice in this passage alone. We don't know how many times he has been tempted in those 40 days previously in the wilderness before this, and yet he's gonna do it again. He's persistent. He's persistent. We come to the third third temptation here, and he's a persistent little devil. (laughs) Read verses 9 through 11. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So Christ and Satan are at the top of this temple, and Satan, once again, places a challenge, places a temptation in front of Christ, and he tempts him here to jump. His tempting is different this time, though. Satan chooses to use Scripture against Christ. This is why in the formatting of your text, it's possibly written in a little bit of a different form. It looks slightly different how the, uh, the publisher has chosen to, to put that text in there. Satan is using a direct quote here from Psalm chapter 91, verses 11 and 12. Surely he has the Son of Man now. He's trapped. Two things are either gonna happen. He's either going to disagree with scripture or he's going to jump. Either way, I've got him. There's there's no easy out for him this time. There's a big problem with this though. Satan has isolated a scripture here out of context and has presented it as truth. This is one of the reasons I believe training and Bible study methods is so very important. Context is extremely important. If you've never had any sort of training on how do I actually use this Bible, I'm gonna point you in two places. The first one, your community group leaders. Grab your community group leader and say, hey, I would love for you to walk me through, how do I actually use the Bible? What is the method and the means to which I can understand what God is saying to me through his word? The second one, we did a theology night at the beginning of the year, about January-February time frame, uh, and we actually recorded this. So if you go to stoneoakbible.com blog and scroll down a little bit, there's uh, three of them in there, three weeks, the first one being Theology Night Week 1, it's a great title. Um, start there. It's, it's an audio, um, so you can listen to it, and also I would love to be a resource, I love understanding Bible study methods, and I love to to walk people through, how do I actually use this book? Satan is begging Christ here to tempt God. This passage isn't about jumping and God providing a pillow of angels here. This passage is about the refuge and the fortress found within God. I find it very interesting, though, that Satan chose to stop at verse 12 of Psalm chapter 91. Let me read to you the rest of the text. I'll begin in Psalm chapter 91, verse 11, and I'll read through 16. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Christ once again uses scripture to point to a reliance upon a God who comes against pride. Satan is trying to get Jesus to to trust in uh, in his own power and in his own pride. He wants him to force the hand of God into action. That is pride. Satan has presented three temptations here. Christ has responded with three responses. Reliance upon a God who provides. Reliance upon a God who has power. And reliance upon a God who counters pride. So we've just witnessed the the best responses to temptation. I don't know about you, but I'm not that good. We see the perfect man of Christ responding in the perfect way to Satan. It brings us to a very important question, though, of this text. What can this text tell us about how we battle our own temptation? I'd say three things. Rely upon the God who provides. Rely upon the God who holds all power. And rely upon the God who counters pride. First, there's times where the Spirit leads us into wilderness. There are times we're in a season where we're supposed to fast and not to eat oftentimes isn't what we want to hear. It's not one of those messages that grows the church, honestly. If I say, hey, you're being led into a wilderness or you're in a season where you're to fast and to struggle, sometimes those that's exactly what we need. Have you ever had one of those situations where at the end of it you say, I hope I never have to go through that again, but I'm so glad that I was able to go through that? It's one of those seasons James chapter one, verses two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. Rely upon the God who provides. Second, Read the last line of our text this morning. Verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So we've seen 40 days where where Christ has fasted and been tempted. We then are walked through three temptations that were given an account of And then it ends with, this isn't going to be the end of it. I will come back against him whenever there is an opportune time. Jesus here has countered him perfectly, yet Satan isn't done trying. This text, it shows us Christ's defeat of Satan as decisive yet not final. How much more is he waiting for another opportune time for those that the temptation has worked against? Satan is going to tempt you and I continually. How can we battle this? Rely upon the God who has power. What does this reliance look like for us? How do I rely upon a God that has has power? Well, we do it the same way as Christ. He has two tools here that he seems to use within this passage. The first is apparent in the very first verse. It's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There's a reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Rely upon the Holy Spirit daily. Seek Him. He's been sent as the great comforter to us. The second method that we see here employed by Christ is the Word of God. Christ here is using the Word of God. Use the Word of God. We might be the generation which has the greatest access to the word of God, yet the lowest use of the word of God. Rely upon the God who holds all the power. Third, the methods that Satan uses are still exactly the same. Satan is not a very, uh, he doesn't differ often in the methods that he chooses to use. If we look at each of this, these temptations, there's a common thread that we see not only in these three temptations, but we see a common thread that points us all the way back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter three. We're looking at the fall of man. We see the crafty serpent, and he comes to Eve, and what does he say? Did God really say? His method is to come against God And his word by the use of pride. He switches the roles here. He's trying to get you to place yourself above the word of God and above God himself. When we have a true understanding of our own salvation, there is no room for pride. I've done absolutely nothing to gain, to earn my own salvation. In fact, what I have done is further removed myself. My pride has caused me to separate myself from God. Through the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross, however, I gain access again to the Father. The humble sacrifice of the cross causes us to have a reliance upon the God who counters pride. So looking at this text, looking at the perfect response to temptation of Christ. We have three things. First, rely upon the God who provides. Second, rely upon the God who holds all power. And third, rely upon the God who counters pride. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, just pause and say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son in the way that you have chose to send him. Thank you, Lord, for the accounts of temptation that we have seen. Thank you, Lord, for the perfect example of Christ, Lord, who has come against Satan, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder of how much it humbles me to look upon the cross and to see my own sin upon it, Father. Thank you, Lord, for the death of Christ, Father, the resurrection of Christ. I thank you, Lord, for the the tools that we have of the Holy Spirit and of your word, Father. I pray that we would daily be attached to them, Father, that it would become who we are. Thank you for everything that you've given us, Lord. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.